0: Welcome to the Green Majority. Thank you very much for listening to this show, which is technically the longest running environmental news hour in Canada.
1: Only technically?
0: Well, what's not in
1: spirit or in Technic- philosophy? Technically
0: is technically. It's just
1: Okay. Alright. Okay. It's
0: the technical, technical truth. Let's we'll stick with that. If you can convince me of the spirit, maybe we'll move on from there. But as it stands. We're broadcasting out of CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto and are also on many community radio stations across the country. Thank you for playing us. And we're also available on podcast platforms. And Stefan Christian Irwin Hostetter is not here today, but he is going to provide, he's not going to provide anything. Anyway, I'm David Christian Irwin Hostetter.
1: And I am Lauren Elizabeth Corlector. We are your hosts of The Green Majority today.
0: We're going to do a segment of climate news and some discussion, and then Amir Jandali is going to be interviewing Annika Greva from the company Loop about their efforts to introduce reusable packaging into supply chain's
1: They're like taking zero waste principles into the like deliverable grocery world.
0: Yeah. And and shampoo and stuff. They're trying to convince, they're trying to convince huge corporations to become like the beer store. And they have a grand vision
1: and it's like totally reusable. You like you go on the website and they have like little reusable carafts of hagen-dazs.
0: Yeah, just re- yeah, just like metal metal containers of cereal and ice cream and shampoo and stuff.
1: And we're going to learn all about it. So excited.
0: All right. And so first for some news. So heat waves reaching close to record temperatures have sparked hundreds of wildfires in southern Europe and the Mediterranean. Turkey has hired planes from Russia and Azerbaijan, the EU, and Ukraine have also sent resources in to help. At least eight people have died in Turkey, and the Erdogan government has been blamed for incompetence, as the country does not even own one firefighting airplane. Temperatures reached over 47 degrees Celsius in inland Greece, and heavy use of air conditioning has threatened the power grid. The heat in Greece is the worst it's been since 1987. Italy, Croatia, and Albania have also had storms and fires caused by the heat, and Serbia and Bulgaria and other countries in the area are asking millions of people not to go outside in the middle of the day. Lebanon, Romania, Spain, and pretty much every country near the northern and eastern shores of the Mediterranean have also been affected. Wildfires are still burning across North America, with drought and heat expected to continue. The Great Salt Lake in Utah has dipped to its lowest ever levels. Farms in California are becoming difficult to insure, and the California utility PG&E is planning to spend $20 billion burying power lines so they stop causing fires, which will probably also raise the price of electricity. At least 200 people have died in the U.S. Pacific Northwest from the heat, And Aline Brown, reporting for The Intercept, quotes a a congressional testimony from an urban sustainability scientist who told the U.S. Congress, quote, Those who died lacked access to financial capital, social networks, and had aging or injured bodies. We knew who was going to die. I wrote a report stating as much in 2009. He went on to say, quote, We can now say that those who died during the heat dome event— were arguably the first climate-related deaths in Oregon and Washington. Sky News quotes Mike Kendon from the World Meteorological Organization as saying, If we think globally, we've had some very, very severe weather events recently, 49.6 degrees Celsius, an all-time record temperature, temperature record in Canada. When you see observations like that, they are taking us outside our own envelope of experience of what we have seen before. An event like that is simply not possible to explain without the human influence on the climate system. The death toll from the flooding in central China has risen to over 300, and heavy rains in Bangladesh have flooded the shelters of over 5,000 Rohingya refugees. In what CNN is calling the third instance of extreme melting in 10 years, the Greenland ice sheet is currently disappearing at a very fast rate, although it isn't as bad as 2019. It's been estimated that as much ice melted on Greenland in one day last week as would cover the entire state of Florida in two inches of water. A study published in Nature at the end of July is warning of the increasing possibility of record-shattering climate extremes, reading, quote, "...models project not only more intense extremes, but also events that break previous records by much larger margins. These record-shattering extremes, nearly impossible in the absence of warming, are likely to occur in the coming decades." we demonstrate that their probability of occurrence depends on warming rate rather than global warming level, and is thus pathway-dependent. This means they are contingent upon how much carbon we burn now and in the future. Another scientific report published in Bioscience reads, On the basis of recent trends in planetary vital signs, we reaffirm the Climate Emergency Declaration, and again call for transformative change, which is needed now more than ever to protect life on Earth and remain within as many planetary boundaries as possible. The speed of change is essential, and new policies should be part of COVID-19 recovery plans. We must now join together as a global community with a shared sense of urgency, cooperation, and equity. A recent study out of the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences in the U.S. has found that the Siberian permafrost melt in 2020 did indeed release methane into the atmosphere. Another study published in Global Change Biology has found that under current trajectories, the emperor penguin will be essentially extinct by 2100. Finally, down in Minnesota, Indigenous activists fighting the Canadian Enbridge Line 3 pipeline are being wounded by rubber bullets and violently thrown in jail. Over 600 water protectors have been arrested resisting the pipeline so far. Winona Leduc recently pointed out that billions of gallons of water are being pumped out of the ground by Enbridge in the middle of a drought that has cut river levels in half. Leduc told Slate, quote, It's the last tar sands pipeline because everybody's divesting. It's like the end of the tar sands era. And it's this Canadian multinational that is running roughshod over northern states and the people who live there because we're the people that live in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, where the Enbridge main line is. We're the people here, and they're running over us and a fifth of the world's fresh water. And we're saying it's time to quit. It's basically selling our human rights, our water, our political rights, everything, our land, to a Canadian multinational. LeDuc went on to say, quote, It's brutal up here. I'm watching a very destructive pipeline tearing through the heart of my territory. This isn't abstract. It's a brutal rape of the north, and I'm standing on the edge of the easement watching it with a bunch of women. That's what it feels like. And I just spent three days in jail for it, and I'll probably spend some time after. That's why Joe Biden should care, because it's wrong what they're doing. Lawyer and activist Tara Huska, who was recently shot by police with rubber bullets, told Democracy Now!, quote, We were under smoky skies and a red sun due to the wildfires that are raging in Ontario, just north of us and west of us, and next to a drought-stricken river, so a very, very deeply harmed river, and a gigantic drill in the background drilling through, attempting to put in a tar sands pipeline through that drought-stricken river. And the level of brutality that was unleashed on us was very extreme. People were shot in their faces, in their bodies, and their upper torsos. I saw a young woman's head get split open right in front of me. And the arrests in person were also quite brutal, throwing people face down in the dirt and being extremely violent in a situation in which we were outnumbered by police at least two to one, and many, many, many counties present protecting this one place, and which also happens to be a county where a murderer, an actual murderer, is still on the loose, has not been caught, but there were somehow over 50 police officers in that one place watching water protectors. Huska added that the police were glad of the event because they would get bonuses, uh, for the harsh arrests.
1: That's a lot to comment on um, from sort of the, the really um, frightening coverage of um, all of the I was going to say natural disasters, but I hesitate to use the term natural disasters because they're hardly natural and they're very much inflicted by people, but from things like wildfires and intense flooding that we've seen over the last few weeks to, to, to what you were just speaking about with line three. Um, so I'm going to start with line three and then I'll, I'll work back towards the warming, but, um, what blows my mind with line three, I was just every, every time we talk about it, I find my, I I have to sort of restart the Googling process and re-educate myself on it because line three, despite the fact that is, as long as global news has their numbers, right, more than 500 protesters have been arrested, um, or issued citations just since December of this, of, of, of 2020, when, um, when construction on the Minnesota leg of line three began, um, So despite the fact that you have, like, like you were saying in those stories, people being shot in the face with rubber bullets and police officers harassing people and 500 protesters being arrested or being issued citations, line three just isn't, um, a project that we're hearing about very much in general public discourse and spaces, at least not when you compare it to something like DAPL or Keystone or TMX, um, Uh, in BC. And, and I'm not too sure what it's going to take to sort of get the necessary eyes on it in order to halt the project from happening. Cause at this point, it's like, I don't know. I've been, it's something I've been thinking about a little bit recently. We need to expand the tools in our sort of like resistance arsenal, because when you get to the point where something like 500 people can be arrested, in order to, in an attempt to stop a project where you get people like those on the West coast right now who have been sitting in to save old growth forests in fairy Creek for months and months and months, and you don't get any movement, um, or support from your government or from those companies you're in opposition to like, like something has to give. And I think what has to give, like, I think we need to realize that a lot of our, tactics, um, on sort of the, like the activist left only work in as much as the, um, the force that you're fighting against respects your humanity and, um, your sort of like your physical and spiritual autonomy. Um, and clearly these governments and these companies, don't, not only do they not respect like the physical environment they're harming, but they don't respect the communities that are being put at risk. And they don't respect the people who are sort of standing up for those communities, whether they're from those communities or, or, or outsiders. So, so we need to rethink how we do things, um, because a March only works if you're able to tug at the heartstrings of those in power. A protest only works if you're able to sort of embarrass those in power. And clearly we're not able to do that anymore with the tactics that we've been using. So, so that's one thing I've been thinking about is that we need to sort of like expand our arsenal, um, which is why I'm really excited about a book I just ordered from Verso Books called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Um, Not because it is literally gonna teach me how to blow up a pipeline, but because it's sort of like digging into that expansion of of tactics as as that might be necessary. Um, Maybe moving beyond the sort of, I feel like for the longest time, we've been really, really married to this idea of nonviolent direct action. And maybe we need to look beyond that, not arguing that we need to put anybody in harm's wake or that we need to resort to any sort of violent tactic necessarily, but, but perhaps we just need to expand that arsenal a bit. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking of was, um, all of those really genuinely terrifying stories that you were, that you were digging into there, David, um, with all of the different wildfires and the sort of heat waves that we're experiencing all across the world is, um, there were a series of stories that came out, Maybe it was last week, maybe it's the week before, but but essentially larger publications saying, who could have predicted this? How did the scientists get this so wrong? Why did nobody know this was coming? And then a second wave of stories that came out from the scientific community saying, what do you mean? We've known this is going to happen. We've been telling you this is going to happen for decades now. Um, and that's something I've been thinking about as I've been reading. I was mentioning to you, David, when we were before we were recording, I'm reading the second book in the Earthseed series by Octavia Butler, which I know is kind of like a leftist cliche to talk about at this point, everybody's read Octavia Butler, everybody knows how like current and prescient it feels in 2021, but really the, the fact that you, so not only did you have scientists telling us for decades that climate change was going to be bad and just how bad it was going to be and giving us the numbers and the statistics behind it. But then you also had people from the creative world, from the artistic community, also telling these stories about how bad things were going to get, because maybe they didn't necessarily know, um, the number of degrees that things were going to warm by, by 2021, but they did, they were able to see the writing on the wall from a cultural and socioeconomic and sociopolitical standpoint. Um, so yeah, that was, I a- again, not even really a point to that, but just sort of something I've been mulling over over the last couple of weeks is that like, these are all things that we've known are going to happen. And we've been told how exactly how they're going to happen for decades now. For instance, that book, I'm reading Parable of the Talents. was written in 1997, Parable of the Sower, the previous book in the series came out in 1993, the same year I was born. So I guess- I guess something that could be viewed as hopeful is the fact that if we have known what the problem is going to be for so long, therefore, like, then we also know what the solutions are. Um, And we know how we can get ourselves out of these problems and dig our way out and manage to salvage ourselves and our loved ones. In our communities. So, um, just because things are getting really, really dark right now and really, really bad and things are going to continue to be bad for quite some time. doesn't mean that we don't have the capacity to dig ourselves out of it because, um, yeah, we do, and we know those solutions. So I don't know. That was me trying to be hopeful. That was me trying to end on a good message before we go to break. And I don't quite know if I achieved that, but it was my best shot.
0: Oh, you achieved it. We shall achieve it daily.
1: Now we're going to talk about zero waste groceries, which are important and a valid solution.
0: Yeah, that's that. That's that daily. That's that daily achievement right
1: there. Exactly. Exactly.
0: All right. So yeah, now we're going to take a music break and come back with Amir Jandali's interview with Annika Grava from Loop.
2: Welcome back, listeners. Amir here from Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And I got my hat on with a blue visor. It's cloudy outside, and I'm cozy inside. And I'm talking with Annika Greve. Say that correctly, semi English, semi German.
3: Yeah, Yeah, that was good.
2: (laughs) Okay, from Loop. And your title at Loop is?
3: So I head up the business development team for Loop in North America which is a lot of words to say. I get to talk to people every day about new partnerships and how we can start to expand in a global reuse platform.
2: Perfect. And if you've never heard of Loop before, I'm very excited to be sharing this with you. In short, what we're talking about here is a revival of the Milkman model for everyday household items that you would use at home from Clorox sanitizing wipes, Haagen-Dazs ice cream to nuts to cleaning solutions, soap, You get a reusable tote in the mail that has a prepaid shipping label. You have your containers inside, use your product, put the container back, send it back, zero waste created in the process. How's that for a primer coat? That's a
3: pretty good primer. And I'm happy to say as of September, it's going to get even easier when we go in store with our retail partners, which means there's no extra shipping, like no extra shopping trip for you. You go to Kroger. If you're in Portland, that's where we're launching in September with Kroger or with Walgreens in New York City as of January, Mm -hmm. go do your groceries as you normally would. And you can pick up some stuff in a reusable format.
2: Okay. So tell us more about that. How did that happen or what's the deal?
3: Absolutely. So if you want, I can take it back a little bit further just to talk about what Loop is and, and where we are. So Loop is actually a part of the larger TerraCycle group which some of your listeners may or may not be familiar with, but TerraCycle has been around for about 20 years. And we're a social enter. What that means is that we're a mission-driven company with the mission to eliminate the idea of waste. So really this mission drives everything that we do. We're active in 22 countries, including Canada and and the U.S. We're headquartered in Trenton, New Jersey. And really we've been going about that primarily by finding recycling solutions for the non-recyclable. So anything outside of your blue bin, think your flexible Mm. packaging like your chip bags or your granola wrappers or... more complex waste streams like cigarette butts or even razor blades or dirty diapers in countries where those aren't compostable, which is pretty cool as well what we've noticed though is recycling is so critical and necessary we're now moving into something though that extends beyond recycling because if you think of your hierarchy of ours reduce reuse then recycle recycling still takes a vast amount of energy and as i just used with those examples most of what we have today isn't actually practically recyclable because there's just no value in it for the recycling company So we're trying to move beyond that and into the next phase, basically, where we're bringing more of the circularity in. So really going for a full circle here by moving away from single-use packaging into something that's durable and reusable. So Loop started about two years ago in May of 2019, actually we launched in the Northeastern US and in Paris, France as our first two markets Mm -hmm. with this e-commerce platform that you mentioned earlier. So it's Called Loopstore.com in the U.S. market, Loopstore.ca. We just launched here in February in in the Canadian market, which is really a smaller e-commerce platform. But the intent has always been, and this is where we're moving to this year, and we're actually live already in a couple of places, which I can go into. The intent is to make this accessible through your existing channels. So we're working with the Loblaws of the world, the Kroger and the Walgreens, to be able to give you your favorite brands and your favorite products through your usual channels, whether that's in buying your favorite shampoo from. Like I said, your favorite retailer, or getting your burger and fries in a reusable container from Mm. Burger King, or your coffee from a Tim Hortons in a reusable cup, or what actually just went live last week as well with McDonald's as a reusable cup in the UK. So that's where we're headed. And 2021, is going to be a really exciting year.
2: Wow. That's fantastic. That's it's if you've been in the environmental space to whatever scope or whatever degree chances are, there's always this initial heartbreak. There's always this initial thing, whether it's a YouTube video or something viral on Facebook about the turtles with the turtle with the straw stuck up the nose and whatever it is, there's this heartbreak. And then somehow that galvanizes you into action. I know from my own personal journey, it started with waste. It was a documentary about plastic bags. And then it just rattled my cages in a different way. And for me, it was very much like, it wasn't just the statistics alone about plastic bags. It was like, how is this normalized how would how was I not aware of this nobody at the store the previous day like I had just gone to Walmart and nobody at Walmart reminded me to bring my reusable bag or said actually sir I'm going to go ahead and put all these in one to conserve none of that communication was there and I was so frustrated by it and then I just took matters into my own hands and so I, I really appreciate this um Innovating in, in the area of waste because of how tangible it is. You see it immediately. It's a whole systemic problem that you can see the results of the changes so fast. And now you're saying, I'm used to loop happening from the totes that you get in the mail, but now you're saying potentially McDonald's, potentially Burger King, like it's spreading. How does that, and I know you're relatively new to loop as well, how does that sit with you? How do you, how does that, what is that like for you?
3: Yeah, I I am relatively new still. I joined Loop about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I changed careers, I changed industries because very similar to, but a bit of a different backstory there. But as a consumer, I want this to work so badly. <laughs> mm. And the backstory there is I'm from Germany originally, so I grew up in a very German household with these this mindset of, you know, back in Germany, you. Like plastic bags, single-use plastic bags at grocery stores is a pretty new thing still. When I was a kid, when we would go grocery shopping with my grandmother, you bring your bags with you, you bring your carts with you. They don't even give you the option of a single-use bag. Now it's obviously changed a little bit as well, but this is in the pretty recent past, like the 10, 15 years ago still. So I grew up in that kind of a mindset and it was just logical. You go a little bit of an extra mile to, to do practicality. It's a practical thing. It's a financial thing as well. Those bags cost money. So use them as often as you can. You wanna be like, even just looking at a, at a bottle, if you have a reusable water bottle at home, you're not gonna use it once and spend $20 on a beautiful stainless steel bottle. You're gonna use it for 10 years. If you're me, I have had mine for 15 years and it's pretty banged up, so I should probably upgrade at some point. But you just, from a practicality standpoint, you use it. So I grew up with that kind of mindset. It was just logical. It made sense to me. So there, I, I guess growing up in Canada, it never really made sense. Like, why are we throwing this stuff out? Why is it just, why are we going through so much effort to produce something just to throw it out? So I started my kind of like journey to zero waste decades ago, I would say. More seriously for the past 10 years or so, dabbling in bar shampoo, going to refillery markets. And just even that popping up more and more in the last five years is incredible to see. I know in the Toronto space, we've had some refillery markets, but in the past five years, it's exploded. There's one in every section of the city now, which is great. But it just, it, you, as you go through this journey, you really have to rethink every single habit you have as a consumer mm-hmm. coming from how do you buy your groceries? So how many like mason jars can you really keep in your house? And how do you clean the labels off of them? And then remembering to take those to get groceries for you. So it's really great if you're able to do it. But why I love what this company, what Loop is trying to do so much and why I really ultimately joined them to help bring this to life is it's trying to make it much more accessible for everybody. As a consumer group, over the past 50, 60 years, we've been trained to act disposable. And that is significantly hard to change, right? You really do have to, it's a full systematic change. And that's gonna be so difficult, if not impossible. So if you can make something that's much more less waste, so zero waste style, but put it back into that kind of a convenience of disposability mindset, you're really getting the best of both worlds. You have the convenience and the affordability that you come to accept, expect now, but you're really minimizing that impact on the environment. So that's what we're trying to do here is putting it not in a consumer-driven and the onus is on the consumer to refill and clean and make sure you have the right health and safety standards for all of your products too, mm. but putting it, the onus back into the professional supply chain. So it's going to be professionally cleaned. If you buy a bottle of Coca-Cola or like a Tropicana juice at the grocery store, we're going to clean it for you order for them, bring it back to PepsiCo or to Coca-Cola or Nestle or whoever that may be. And they're going to professionally fill it just like they do any new product. It's just mm-hmm. that it happens to go into a reused bottle and it's a system so, that's already alive everywhere. It's just, let's make it more accessible. To
2: so I wonder actually, if you can actually just walk us through that step-by-step step, what the experience is like for the customer.
3: Totally. So if you, as of, like I said, our first launches in the U S and for Canada, it's going to be early next year with hopefully actually later on this fall with Tim Hortons in the Toronto area. So imagine Tim Hortons. If you go to the coffee shop and you can order your coffee, you can choose either a single use packaging, single use cup or a reusable cup. If you choose a reusable cup, you pay a small deposit on it. Once you're finished with it, you drop it off dirty as it is back into a loop return bin. So instead of going into a garbage bin, it's now going into a return bin. We sanitize them that we clean them they're professionally cleaned then they're sent back to Tim Hortons to refill and start the process again mm-hmm. so it's very similar as if you go with your own coffee cup to get it refilled at a coffee shop unfortunately those have been put on hold for the most part for the past year and a half because of COVID and everything surrounding it except that you don't actually have to clean it you don't have to store it in your house you can grab your coffee to go for a walk and then just dispose of it at the next shop that comes around the corner so really you're you're Again, trying to emulate that. So for you as a consumer, your habits don't change that much. You just happen to put it into a different bin.
2: And then how about the at-home experience?
3: So the at-home experience right now, if you're, you know, one of our consumers who's tried it out already, so thank you for obviously for trying it. I think it's just such a cool way to be one of the first ones to get this experience. Mm. Also, cause the packaging is just awesome. Our partners really put a lot, a lot into this, which is really incredible to see. And you can really change the functionality of what packaging actually means by just putting more resources into it because you're going to use it again and again. So if you're using it online right now, you just go to loopstore.com or loopstore.ca. If you're in Canada, you place an order. You do have to create a quick login, but that's all free. You do your shopping as you normally would. It's just a standard e-commerce site. And then it gets delivered to you in a reusable tote bag. And when you're done, whether it's like a nut butter or if it's a Häagen-Dazs ice cream, don't rinse it. Don't do anything with it, just as you would with any kind of packaging. Throw it out. And in Canada, you're probably doing some wish cycling, which means you're throwing it into the recycling bin, hoping it gets recycled or into the garbage bin. Just put it back into your loop bag. And then when you're ready, schedule a pickup and FedEx or UPS will come pick it up from your door. And again, it comes back, gets cleaned, sent right back to the manufacturer for refilling and starting it again.
2: And when we're saying a tote bag, we're not, it's not like you're a canvas tote, to your example, it's like a box.
3: Yeah, think think like a cardboard box, that is made out of a reusable fabric and that it's cleaned and and sanitized by us and then like building and put back again in the next rotation.
2: What have you seen or I know water use might be a big concern. And I've had lunch actually with Tums, the founder of TerraCycle and Loop. A long time ago, the stars just aligned. We were in the same place, the same time and we got to chatting. And then he was talking to me about the importance of it at scale. And there's a certain place at which it starts making sense and a certain place at which you have to use something over a certain amount of time for it to start making sense. Do you have a, any sense of how that yeah, works?
3: Absolutely. A great way to think of it too, is in your own home. Hand washing your dishes takes a lot more water than putting it into a dishwasher because you're using less, more water for one unit than mm. you would for 10 units in your dishwasher at the same time. Very similar in terms of this. We wash on a professional scale, which means that the water usage is actually pretty economical compared to like again, hand washing it at home. The main thing is where where most of the environmental impact comes from across all packaging is that initial resource extraction from the earth. So that mining operation to get the oil out of the out of the world out of the earth, and then coming it back into getting it to process, and then to another processor, and then from there to a pelletized kind of plastic that can actually be molded, and then to a molder, and then into a packaging manufacturing, and then a filling site. Massive amounts of energy to make that work. So what we're trying to do. When you see if the recycling point, at least you're still, I guess, honoring those particles and those, that, that resource that you took out of the earth to make it work again, better, longer. But when you're reusing it, you have it in the same form, which is the best part, because then you don't put any resources into breaking it down and re- remaking it into a new kind of packaging. So as you can imagine, though, putting something into a reusable format, you need it to be more durable. So you need to put more resources into it initially. Mm-hmm. So up front if you look at a plastic water bottle versus a stainless steel water bottle if you're using them once plastic water bottle is less of an impact on the world but what we've seen is after about three uses of the stainless steel bottle that actually breaks even with a single use bottle in terms of a an environmental impact and then after three uses you're really just seeing benefit from it this is an average as again like a shampoo bottle is going to be very different than 20 liter kitty litter type of packaging mm-hmm. but Looking across the averages, that's what we found. So to be part of the loop system, we test for durability and cleanability, which means that it can go through the full system of consumer use to cleaning, to refilling at least 10 times, ideally hundreds or more though. Mm. And that's what we expect most of the products to be able to go through. And we choose that little magic number because we've done upwards of two dozen. And we continuously do these life cycle analysis assessments. Mm. So these like LCAs is the short form for it. That's the, the standard. In, in the environmental world to measure the impact across a variety of different aspects that your product is. So we look at it from cradle to cradle, which is, again, it depends on how you're doing it, but it's basically from when it's created down to when it's reused again, and what happens to it at the end of life.
2: I wonder if you could talk to us about maybe some of the conversations you've had with brands. And so even a few years ago, it probably would have been super hard to convince a brand to invest these resources or the their brand equity to be part of something that is uncertain or is a little bit granola or something what's that like now how's it how's it going for you
3: there are always challenges to overcome no matter who the brand is whether they're a very eco-friendly like born out of sustainability brand or with the, the nestles and coca-colas of the world there are always challenges whether that's systematic change that needs to happen in their organization again mm. they've these companies have been now working for the past 50 years to become as efficient as possible in single use. It's difficult to change that back. There's a lot of resource that goes into it. There's a lot of time. You can't just snap your fingers and unfortunately change it. But what we found is that, and and I think we're in a unique um, place here because we've had really great partnerships with a lot of these companies already through our recycling, how we work with them on recycling initiatives through our TerraCycle side of the business. So, there are, it's, it's interesting. Everybody's purpose is, is different, but there's always a few individuals. There's always a couple of really great sustainability, like timelines within these brands that are driving them forward. So there, I would say for the most part, most of the brands or like partners and retailers, like we know that there's an issue, everybody knows there's an issue and they're now looking for solutions. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of conflicting messaging out there, of course, whether combustible packaging or recycling, actually, what does recyclability actually mean? Yeah, Man, I was so confused even a year ago. Somebody, like, every day I learned something new, like a pizza box is not recyclable, blew my mind. So yeah. it's, it's cool though, because I, it, I think there's getting some clarity when and it's moving forward, which is pretty cool. But yeah, there's always, they're fun conversations. And what I found really is just that everybody's receptive to it, which is the coolest part, is that you have this conversation with, it doesn't matter a brand of what size, everybody's receptive. And they're interested and they're intrigued and they're excited to learn more. It might not be the right time for them to try it now. It might be the right time in five years, Mm. but they're excited, which is, again, the thing that gives me hope.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the groundswell is reaching a noticeably palpable level. That, I agree, feels wonderfully. It's this interesting mix of being hopeful and anxious at the same time. Absolutely. I think that's where we're at. But you can't deny that it, that the groundswell is occurring and I remember four years ago or something, I had been in on this journey for a few years at the time, committed to reusable bags, questioning the normalcy of single use things. And then I was just that lone person, that weirdo in my family that was just talking about this kind of stuff. And then at one point my dad was, my parents live in Turkey now, and we're from New Mexico originally. And my dad had business to do back in New Mexico. So he flew back and he was staying in a hotel and I went to stay with him for that week. He was there and he so proudly goes, look, and then he opens his closet door of his hotel and all these single use bottles fall out. And for him, it was his, this moment of pride actually, because he's look, I saved these so I could recycle them. (laughs) (laughs) Like dad, yo, I love you great job. I want to give you this reusable model, but this is great. Good job, dad. Amazing. So that was super cool. And I kind of got to see a very early stage of something shifting in my own nuclear family, which was really great. And now it seems like that's, I don't have to ask for no straw anymore. And then when we start on this journey, if it does start with waste, it shouldn't end there. It just starts there until it becomes this uh, habit that we don't really have to think about so much. And then when we run into these systemic problems, like you're saying, like, oh, my God, how many jars do I need to bring to the thing? Like, I really wish I could just order something online like Amazon and it just comes in this reusable thing. I wish that existed. Now it does. And it's not so it is still early stage, but it's the concept has been proven. It was tested in New York and tested in Paris, I think. Right. And then now it's in how many cities and countries you said?
3: Yeah, that's exactly it. We have, our, we have our proof of concept, which really means are companies interested? Are they participating? Aha. Are consumers interested? Are they participating? And is it working? Hmm. And across all three of those, we have a resounding yes. So we are actually live already now in store with, with Carrefour, who is the largest retailer group yeah. in, in France. So we're live in 12 stores across all three of their types of markets. So they have little city center, more convenience style stores, and then larger stores, and now actually launched an entire loop section in their largest store format, which just looks phenomenal. We're live in Japan with Aeon, who's the largest retailer in in the Japanese market. And as of this weekend, we just actually did a very soft launch in the UK with a couple of McDonald's locations. So we're going to launch with Tesco in the retail space in September in the UK as well. so we're actually live in five markets and as of January next year, we're gonna be live in six markets with Australia as well. Okay. So looking at Canada, the US, uh, the UK, France and Japan and then Australia for the the US and Canadian listeners here, Toronto is really going to be the first place you're going to see it come to in the Canadian space with Tim Hortons this fall, which is just so incredible. I can't wait to get my coffee in a reusable cup again. I've been like, I was the one with a collapsible coffee cup in my my bag at all times because you just Mm. never know when you want that coffee. So I'm pumped for that. And then Loblaws is our launch retail partner in the Canadian space as well. So that'll be happening early next year. And in the U.S. space, New York City and and Portland coming live this September, which is going to be just phenomenal. And with Burger King as well, who's launching with us on a global basis in all of those markets. Oh, my gosh. It's moving. It's moving.
2: Slowly but surely.
3: Actually, not so slowly. It's been two years. We've come a long way in two
2: years. That's fantastic. (laughs) I'm yeah. working on a project now. It's been seven years I've been working on this project <laughs> and it is nowhere near the level of complexity as this. So that's just tremendous The amount of energy. And this is the potential energy that you guys are converting into kinetic energy here in this project. And I'm just Googling stuff as you're talking to me,
0: Yeah.
2: Um, pull the mic over a little bit more. And so I, I uh, was trying to find something about the, the section in yeah. you said Kroger, right?
3: Kroger. So Kroger will go live early September in Portland under the Fred Meyer banner. Okay. You won't see a picture yet. It's, it's not been publicly announced. They are working on their assortment and getting everything set up for in-store. So I would say stay tuned. It's going to be two months from now, and you'll see a lot of great announcements and pictures coming out of it. But if Solid. you look up Carrefour and Loop, you should be able to, to get a lot of great images.
2: Let's take a look at that. All right. Yeah. So if you're listening, Google Loop Carrefour. How do you, we don't have a Carrefour in US. How do you spell
3: Carrefour? No, it's C-A-R-E-F-O-U-R. And oh, I apologize for anybody who speaks French and my butchering of that,
2: that word. Fou. Fou. <laughs>
3: yeah, something like that. It's something like that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. So what I'm looking at here is a what is this called? The, the end shelf, like the, the book end of the shelf.
3: An end cap. Thank yeah. you.
2: Absolutely. I'm looking at an end cap and I see finally, you know what? Finally, I'm looking at an end cap that has some product benefits the one two three four step product benefits that are actually not about something gimmicky or something that would make me roll my eyes but this is use this bring it back it's washed it's reused like this is so freaking futuristic to me yeah do you know i know
3: i hope that in a year from now it's not going to be futuristic anymore it's just the norm i've also just sent you a link here Uh, if you go to exploreloop.com you can get some great examples of where we are globally and where we are with our partners right now. So for any listeners, I go to exploreloop.com and it okay. gives a great view of our global partnerships for this and some really fun packaging examples.
2: I, and I know probably so sort of for some of our listeners, exactly like you were saying earlier, your grandparents used to just bring you reusable bags. I know there are nations or countries or people, organizations that have been doing this forever. In 10 years ago, in this documentary that I watched that got me on this path, it's called yeah. Bag It, it's about reusable bags. And they are showing examples of different parts of Europe where they just always reuse glass bottles. And you can see how the markings on the bottle to see how many times it's been reused.
3: Yeah, that's still very common there.
2: Still Mm -hmm. super common. And so it's, do you know more examples of that? We didn't rehearse this at all by any means, please. So I'm (laughs) just like...
3: No, totally. Actually, for, this is mostly Canadian listeners here. You do this probably every day or if not every day, probably better every weekend. But if you return your beer bottles back to the beer store and get your deposit back for them, that is on a professionally done re cleaning and reuse system. So this is actually a great example of how reuse can be done on a national Mm. scale and is very actively being done in Canada already. Most people don't think about it because you bring back your cans and your bottles and you get a small deposit back. So you get like your change to put towards your next couple of cans of beer, but those are cleaned professionally and refilled by the individual beer manufacturers and and producers. They have a return rate of I think 90% annually on an ongoing basis, which is just phenomenal it very like closely correlates to some of those return processes in like germany where they use the the glass bottles. And a lot of our partners still do that. So yeah, there's some really cool ways to like age gracefully when you're looking at packaging, like those white lines that you mentioned on the bottles, point Mm. them out and say, look, make this line wider because it means it's been used more often. I am personally proud of my dented up and scratched stainless steel bottle because it's been through a lot and I can show that it's been through a lot. Although I do get made fun of it for regularly and it doesn't stand so well anymore. So there are some just things that can happen. But yeah, it's, it's some really great systems that exist already or other examples in the North American space. Again, your example, but if you have a keg for like your university keggers, you bring that back and get a deposit back or your propane tank for your barbecue Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or your soda stream, which again is something that we had, like my family had in Germany 15 years ago. So just so excited that it's here now too. So that works really great when you have one or two kind of professionally done reuse systems, it doesn't work well when you have a hundred because you cannot bring your propane tank back to your beer store to get your deposit back. You mm. can't bring your beer bottles back to the gas station to get your deposit back. So when you have like a hundred different things, you can't go back to a hundred different stores to manage your deposits. So that's what we're really trying to build here is this buy anywhere, return anywhere feel. That if you buy your coffee from Tim Hortons, you can drop it off at Loblaws when you get your groceries and get a deposit back. Same thing. If you have a shampoo bottle, you can drop that off when you're getting your lunch at Burger King the next day. So you can really start to make it as close to disposability as you possibly can. Again, bringing in that convenience that we have all just become so accustomed to.
2: Yeah. That is, I was not aware of that. That is something that's pretty next level. And that makes everything feel so much more collaborative and so much more community oriented and, that in and of itself feels super futuristic to me too. So I get my co- reusable coffee cup from Tim Hortons and, and then I go to uh, the grocery store and I can drop it off there. And it's like a big loop return bin.
3: Yeah. It's basically, if you think of it as you have your garbage bin, you have your recycling bin and you'll have your return bin. So okay. you have things for recycling for unfortunately the landfill, hopefully that'll get smaller and smaller with time. And then your reuse bin.
2: I love it. Okay. So I have some questions about cost and your capture rate, your return rate. But before that, now that we're on this and you just said a a beautiful opening to a segue, hopefully we see the, the landfill bin get smaller and smaller over time. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we did a little prep, but I wonder if you, now that you've been in this space or for the time that you have, what do you see as the, if when your job is, when circular systems are circular and we're in the year 2050 and we've done everything right what does that snapshot look like? What are the elements at play? What does that look like to you?
3: Yeah, uh, I love that question and I find it hard to project, you know, that far away because there's, I am hoping for some really cool other innovations to come into space and really keep looking at what the next, next best thing is and keep learning and improving because nothing is going to be perfect. Nothing is perfect. So even to your point, if we do everything right, there will probably still be something that we need to fix at that point. And that's really the mentality we have here too, is start somewhere and improve, Mm -hmm. learn and improve. Because if you don't do something, if you don't start anywhere, you're never going to get anywhere. So reuse is not going to be the end-all solution. It's not going to be the end-all solution for everything. It won't work in all cases. Recycling will not work in all cases, as we've already seen. Like, it's not working in all cases right now. Some things will be a single use just because of, like, hazardous waste and medical things. But then maybe that can be repurposed in a different way, in a different manner. So, yeah, my ideal world and in 20, 30, 40 years, hopefully a lot sooner than that, is it just becomes second nature to Reuse as much as you can. Again, it's an economical thing for you too. I don't buy plastic water bottles because that's expensive. (laughs) If you look at that on an annual, like even on a daily basis, how much water you drink, that's up a lot of money. So reuse as much as you can in all spaces. We are, I didn't even mention this earlier, but we are not just in the food and grocery space and with quick service restaurants, but we're working with Ulta in the United States, which is a cosmetics retailer. So it's really branching into all industries. Wherever there's a a cause for reuse, um, you do it. The Same thing with secondhand clothing, that's taking off like, like crazy and people are mending clothes and companies are now re- becoming more responsible for mending their clothes and putting in some really great pro- like processes as well, making them more durable again. Like they were 50, 60 years ago where you would take them to a tailor and mend them. So I, I see the majority being reused, which is just, again, it makes logical sense. Repurpose whatever you can. I'm a huge DIY junkie. I try to repurpose everything just for fun. I like to fiddle a lot and fidget. Doing fun things with that. Do upcycling wherever you can. That's how I see it in the future. I, I see a very large reuse bin municipality-wise. Toronto, like every city bin where you see it should have some kind of thing in a reuse. And small recycling bin and then hopefully a garbage bin intermittently.
2: And a it small helps. one. Yeah. And then and so maybe some sort of like truly compostable stream totally. as well maybe yeah. for things like the napkin maybe chip bags or little things yeah. like that could who knows what kind of breakthroughs we'll see in that space but I hope there's so. room for everything and I think everything is needed and to your point it's not just Absolutely. about this one silver bullet it's like a bag of bullets and I like to think of it as a bag of seeds
3: I like that's better it's much better
2: you know right you cool. learned
3: anything from nature diversity is key in everything right get like the forest it's that it grows best when there's just like a little bit of everything and I think that's brings true across all things in life so Absolutely. The the bag of seeds is, is a really nice analogy.
2: Yeah. The, the diversity of it. Yeah. that's And that's so exciting too, because we think it's just going to need to like this one thing, but it's so many things all working together as a system, as an ecosystem. We are an ecosystem and that's, that's awesome. So let's, so how would this work for the person that wants to hop on Loop Store right now? And what should they expect in terms of how much is it going to cost me to do this? When is it going to arrive? How do I send it back?
3: Yeah, totally. So prices vary. For the most part, we try to be as like on par, like most of our partners want to be on as par as they possibly can with their prices in single use containers today. Because again, we're everybody's taking a bit of a loss of this because everybody's really excited to make this work and to make mm. it scalable, which is where you're going to get like economics come in. But if you're a consumer, you go onto the website. There's no cost. It's like there's no subscription model. Nothing within that space. You just create a, a free login. I apologize in advance. The website is a bit clunky. We are not a good retailer. We don't want to be a retailer. So again, keep in mind this is short term. But definitely encourage you to check it out. You put your bet, like your items, into the virtual tote, and then when you're ready to ship, you just you know pay for it and. Then get it shipped. So you'll always see two prices on each item. So if you're picking up a pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, you'll see a price for the ice cream, and then you'll see a deposit price. Mm. So it's always going to be listed separately. That deposit price is going to go off of your credit card for a minute. But then when you return that Haagen-Dazs that container empty, that deposit price is going to go back onto your account, and then you can take it back onto your credit card as a refund. Again, just thing, same thing with any of the Canadian listeners here. When you go to the beer store and drop off your cans, you get those five cents back or the 15 cents back. Just as you would see them at the beer store, your Loblaws on on two separate line items. It's the same exact thing within this. So temporary deposit, when you return it, you get that money back and then you can restart it again.
2: I love it. If this is something you're interested in and you are hearing us and you decide to try out Loop Store, contact us and let us know how that goes for you. I think that was really cool. I've been a super nerd in this space for a long time. And I remember when it was my turn here in New York to be part of the beta group or whatever the prototype group, like two years ago or something, I was thrilled and and I love it. And I still use it time and time again. And now I'm in a place where I'm like, okay, cool, maybe I can coordinate with my neighbors. And I love my neighbors. There's four of us on our floor: Tony, Pete, and TJ in 1A, Julianne and David in 1B. Kristen just moved in a couple of months ago in 1A on my side of the hallway. And hey guys, let's why don't we all just order our Tide laundry detergent together? I'll keep the tote in my apartment, whatever that kind of thing. Love so it. yeah. it's it's cool. It's a com- community-building thing as well. If you do decide to try it out, find a way to get a hold of us. Green majority, not too active on Instagram but it does exist. So message us on, on, on Instagram and just say, you know what? I tried loop and it's dope. Or I tried loop and I don't know if it's for me, but I'm glad it exists. That'd be good feedback too.
3: Yeah. Uh, I love all the feedback. That's I love it. All the feedback.
2: That's I think it. any other thoughts from you as we round this up, round this out?
3: No, I think we covered a lot and I hope it was under, understandable. I know I talk a lot and I talk quickly. I've gotten that feedback a lot, but I hope it came across clear. Really, it's just, I, like I said, I feel like this, this shift happening, like people are really moving forward, not just like industry, but cons- like people, like consumers, my friends are asking me about zero waste now. And I was usually the one who was like pushing it on everybody. I'm like, oh, have you tried this? Bring your coffee cup with you. Like, so it's nice to hear that your point, your dad, your your story with your dad as well, that there's, that there are baby steps moving forward and those baby mm. steps are turning into real steps and then into like kind of leaps and bounds. So I am so excited to be part of it. I am thrilled to be here today with you to talk about it. As you can see, I'm still gushing about all things, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's very excited. The, <laughs> the reuse platform. And I hope you know, for, for the Canadians come October, November, once we go live into importance in store, try it out, keep trying it out. We're going to keep getting, it's going to get better and better as, as we go. Yeah. Can't wait for it to go live.
2: I love it. I'm wondering as we sign off here, Annika, if you can, what else outside of Loop is exciting you these days? Have you read a cool book or seen a cool documentary or listened to a cool podcast? Where would you like to divert our attention now in addition to loopstore.com.ca?
3: It's been honestly with, I guess, COVID and we're still in the lockdown in Toronto area, a little bit less so ahead. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of reading. Man, there are too many to name. There's so many great documentaries out there. I'd actually just read the book actually though, from the the founder of Patagonia, Let My People Go Surfing. I recommend that it was so fun to read. And I am a big advocate for the four day work week and life work balance and that there are other ways to do it. I've heard the term, the great resignation throwing around right now too, because it just, it mm-hmm. sounds like people are really reevaluating what's important to them in life, whether that's on their, how they spend their time at work or how they spend their time looking at reusable containers as an example. It's cool. It's I think a really incredible journey to go on. And I'm so glad that so many people have had that opportunity over the past year to do so as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I've also heard this chapter in all of our lives referred to as a great correction.
3: Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then to, to a point that you made way earlier about rethinking our norms during the pandemic, I, the language about flattening the curve has been a really cognitive puzzle piece in my mind. It's helped me realize that I've been thinking so much about the environmental systems at play, and now we see how we're all inputs into the healthcare system. We are all inputs into this healthcare system. And The curve is high when the inputs are high. So we need to pull back, flatten that curve. And so that logical, that puzzle piece in our cognitive, in our mindsets, you can apply that to the environmental system as well. The the ecological system, we need to flatten that curve too. And this is one super easy way to do that. And it's hopefully soon going to become just so desirable. Yeah. Not so much a thing you have to think twice about, but yes, I can't believe I used to just use this once and throw it away. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. Annika, this is awesome. Green Majority listeners, we love you. Thank you so much for being with us again. And we're signing off from Brooklyn and from Toronto, respectively. Thank
3: Thanks you so much.
2: All right.